0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 8. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: We know from Isaiah chapter 6... Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then all the angels were crying out there in heaven. Holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel saw a vision of God in heaven. And guess what they were doing? They were worshiping there in heaven. Chapter four in the book of Revelation. From the throne proceeds lightnings and thunders and voices. And the four living creatures haven't slept Because they are repeating, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 24 elders are saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Chapter 5, 10,000 times 10,000s of angels are saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to take the scroll and to loose the seals for eons and eons and eons and eons in heaven, there Always noise. People are worshiping God in heaven, always. And now, for the first time, it's completely silent, completely and totally silent in heaven for a half hour. Now, one Bible commentator suggested that the very fact that there was silence in heaven for a half hour proves that there were no women there. I don't agree with that, ladies. I'm with you. Me and you, we are right here. I don't agree with that. I totally disagree with that. I'm just telling you what he said. That's all. Now now picture this. Picture this. Most of us have heard the Hallelujah chorus of Handel's Messiah. Most of us. And they say that it is the most powerful and moving musical composition ever written. It's 1743, King George attended the London premiere of the Messiah. And while seated as the and while seated as the Hallelujah chorus was being performed, as the first of the Hallelujah's was sung. The king was so deeply moved that he spontaneously rose to his feet and he stood for the remainder of the performance with his eyes glistening with emotion. Well, at that time, the rest of the audience, seeing the king standing reverently, as the chorus continued to build in power and in force, the audience also stood to its feet. Now, if you're familiar with the performance, you know that the song builds to a climax, H., and at the climax age the orchestra and the choir they suddenly stop. And there's a thundering silence full of awe and intense anticipation. And the chorus is still ringing in your ear. Although there's a silence, it's still ringing. In your ear. That's the idea here. All of heaven is worshiping. The four living creatures are saying, Holy. Elders are shouting, Worthy. The angels praising, and the tribulation saints are praying. And then suddenly there's silence. Why? Why? We don't know why. We don't know why. There is a guy, believe it or not, that wrote a book on what was happening during this 30 minutes of silence in heaven. And people actually wrote the book, bought the book. What did the book have in it, blank pages? What's up with that? Wait a minute, wait a minute. The Bible says that there was silence in heaven. And the Bible nowhere in the scriptures does it tell us what that silence was. Therefore, biblical rule of interpretation number one, numero uno. Where the Bible is silent, you be silent. I don't know what the guy wrote. The Bible doesn't tell us. We just know that there was silence in heaven. Now, let me suggest, I suggest to you, speculation, that this silence was the calm before the storm. The calm before the storm because things are about to get really intense. Earl Palmer writes, and I love this, Quote from him. He writes, It is the silence of mystery and intense waiting. There is communicated in a very dramatic way in this quietness the full and awesome authority of God. Everything must wait for his kingly move. Would you love that? All of heaven is reduced to silence in anticipation of the grim destruction. And notice what happens after the half hour of silence. Notice in verses 2 through 6. And I saw the seven angels. Notice the seven angels who stand before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. Now you should remember the number seven because the number seven is important in the book of Revelation. The number seven speaks of completeness. Or completion. So, these seven angels who stand before God, and to them was given seven trumpets. Then another angel, in verse 3, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints... Ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel, note this, took the censer. He filled it with fire or a coal of fire from the altar and he threw it to the earth. And there was noises and then thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And so the seven angels had been given seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Now give me your attention if you will. Notice these are a special group of angels. Notice the angels in verse 2. I saw the the seven angels. So this is a special group of angels and each one of them was given a trumpet in preparation for the trumpet judgments that would follow. Now, when these New Testament Christians, our brothers and sisters, when they read this, they completely knew exactly what John was talking about. You see, when they read the Bible, we gotta understand something. The New Testament actually hadn't been written yet. So if they heard trumpets, immediately in their mind, they would think of the Old Testament because their Bible was the Old Testament. So when they studied the Bible, they didn't study Matthew to Revelation. They studied from Genesis to Malachi. They studied the Old Testament. And whenever you brought up trumpets among the children of God or the people of Israel, they knew exactly what you were talking about because trumpets were a very important part of Jewish life. They completely understood trumpets. Now, when I was in Israel a couple of times ago, I bought what is called a shofar. I should have bought it out here. I'll show it to you. A shofar, and it's a ram's horn. It's the trumpet, and I can't blow that thing. My my son can somehow blow it. I don't know how. I just can't get it to sound, but it's called a shofar, and in Jewish life, it was very important because they used it for many, many things. They would use it to gather people. Like if they wanted to bring all the people together, we might kind of yell and say, hey, everybody, come here. Everybody, get around, get around. Well, they would just blow the shofar. Or when they were going into battle, they would blow the shofar to announce war. And also they would use it to announce just special events. So when the trumpet blew in the Old Testament, it was always a sound of victory and liberation and good news for the people. Now, before the judgments are delivered, Our attention in verses 3 through 5 is directed to the altar of incense in heaven. You see that? The altar of incense in heaven. Now, I know that we are all good Bible students. Amen. And we all know from the Old Testament the setup of the tabernacle. You remember the tent, the tabernacle that they would take down and move, set it back up? In the tabernacle, there were two compartments. The first would be the holy place. And beyond the holy place was a, a room called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And what separated the holy place from the most holy place or the holy of holies was a veil, the veil of the temple. And that veil was approximately 18 inches thick. It was purple. It was Beautiful. And it had woven on it angels with trumpets blowing. It separated the two compartments. Well, in front of the veil of the temple was the altar of incense. And this is where the priest would take a golden censer. And in that censer, the priest would put incense. And he would put the golden censer containing the incense. And he would place it on the altar. Now, Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be set before you, David says, as incense. So burning incense on the altar in the Bible is a picture of the sweet prayers of God's people ascending up to God. Isn't that beautiful? It's just a picture of our sweet prayers. Ascending up to God. Now here we see in our text in verses three through five, we see that the angel is doing the same thing as the priest. The angel takes the censer with the incense and he offers it with the prayers of the saints. These are the prayers that all of the suffering martyrs have prayed in faith. These are the prayers of millions and millions and millions of saints throughout all the ages. These are the prayers of the last 2,000 years when Jesus said to his disciples, he said in the prayer, our father, he said, and pray, our father, which art in heaven, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know it. These are those prayers. Thy kingdom come. And even though it's been 2,000 years that it's taken for God to answer those prayers, not one of those prayers have gone unnoticed. Not one of those prayers has been ignored. Not one of those prayers has been pointless. Not one of those prayers has been forgotten. All of those prayers have been gathering at the altar and the throne of God. Now, I love these verses because why? Why, Rodney? Because these verses tell me and these verses tell you how God, listen, views our prayers. Do you ever feel, I do, that my prayers are not even getting past the ceiling, less alone getting into the throne room of God. My prayers are rising into the holy of holies to God. God, hears my prayers. I don't know about you, but if you feel that way, that's wonderful. But I rarely feel that way, to tell you the truth. When I'm in prayer, I just feel like, man, my prayers are like hitting the ceiling and coming back down. I was like, ah, oh, why? Pray. I know. <laughs> oh, sometimes I feel that way. But listen, I need to know and you need to know that God hears our prayers. Amen. God hears our prayers. God doesn't forget our prayers. The Bible says, here's something beautiful for you. God says that even your tears, God takes them and bottles them up. Isn't that sweet? God bottles your tears. He knows. He remembers. God hears our prayers. And Satan wants you to think and wants me to think that God doesn't hear my prayers because if I think that God doesn't hear my prayers, then I'm probably not going to pray. You see, prayer is my way to talk to God. And the Bible is God's way to talk to me. That's why you need to do both. So I talk to God in prayer, and God hears us. He promises to hear us. And not only does he promise to hear us, but those prayers, the Bible says, comes up before him like a sweet-smelling perfume. Like a bouquet of flowers with a note. Don't you love flowers? I love flowers. And I'm a guy. I love flowers. If you'd like to send me some flowers, please send them to Calvary Chapel. I'll receive them. I love flowers, and, 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 and I love the smell of them. You get flowers, and you go, what do you do when you first get flowers? Do you just kind of go, oh, forget them flowers? No. You take a bouquet of flowers, what do you do? You go, ah, oh. that was actually my chance to clear my nose button. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh. And then you take the note, and you read it, and go, oh, for my loved one. And it's sweet, and it's wonderful. 1990, Saudi Arabia, desert storm. I was at the hospital stationed in El Jubal, the city of El Jabal. and I remember very clearly, I had an opportunity one time to call Elvira and say hi to her, I called her from Saudi. And I'm on the phone with her and I said, Honey, hey, it's me, hey, good to talk to you. I'm like, hey, listen, listen, honey, I got only a few seconds to talk, but listen. She goes, what? I said, send me mail. Mail? Yeah, honey, send me mail every single day. Every single day, honey, I want you to write me a letter and put it in the mail every single day. And then I'll get mail every single day. And she says, what? That's a lot of standards. Who cares about money? I'm in Saudi Arabia risking my life for my country. (laughs) Dear Send me mail. Now remember, I mean, there's missiles pointed toward the hospital. This is a very dangerous environment. There's Marines surrounding the perimeter. I mean, we are in danger here. We are at war, and what's the most important thing? Not the missiles, but my mail. Mail is important. Now, if you've been in the military, you know mail is important. And then when they say, mail call, you drop what you're doing. I don't care if you're doing CPR on somebody. You go, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> got anything for me? <laughs> Rodney, Rodney, Rodney Finch with an F, F-I-N-C-H. Got anything for me? Jones, Thompson, William. I, you're always the last to get your mail. That's kind of the way it works. There's something very evil about that. You're very last to get your mail. Got mail for me? Yeah. <laughs> and then I got a letter from Elvira. I'll never forget this letter, and I forgot all day to bring it out to the service. I wanted to show it to you. It was actually a card I got from Elvira. I still have it. I've got a stack of them actually in my office on my desk, and I got this one card. It's particularly funny because she opens up the card, and she says, Hey, Mr. Big (laughs) Head. Yes, loving wife. That was our love language, you know, Mr. Big Head. Well, Rodney Jr. is doing this, and this is going on with Chanel, and this is going on in the family. But it was so wonderful. And then I would smell the cart. And it smelled like her. I mean, good smells. You know what I mean. Nice smells. <laughs> she smelled good, y'all. You know what I'm saying. And she's always like, oh, yeah, it smells like my honey. Well, see, our prayers are like letters, and notes to God. He loves to get mail. God loves to get mail. And he loves to get your mail. And the Bible says that our prayers, no matter how simple they are, God hears every single one of them. He never ever ever forgets about them. He gathers your prayer. God's waiting to hear from his people. Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? If God's waiting to hear from us then why don't we pray? First Peter, chapter three, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto our prayers. The idea there in this verse, in this verse, the idea is that God is kind of down like this here. And he's got his ears like this. Okay, I'm waiting to hear from you. Haven't heard from you in a week. Well, a month's gone by. Man, I haven't heard from you in a year. I'm waiting to hear the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open. Open to my prayers? Yeah, God wants to hear from us. Then why don't we pray? And those prayers ascend to heaven as a sweet smell. Well, notice after the incense is burned up, notice in your Bibles, after the incense is burned up and after the prayers are heard, notice the prayers went up and God takes those prayers out of the bowls and he mixes it with the incense of heaven and note this, he throws it back down to the earth. Did you get that? Notice it came from the earth to heaven and now it's cast or literally herald down from heaven to the earth. The silence is over and the judgment begins. You see the world won't come to the Lord through the altar of forgiveness and so the altar comes to the world for judgment. So this angel, he throws the fiery coal to the earth and notice what the result is. Thundering, lightning, and earthquakes. That is the preparation in verses 1 through 6, which brings us to the seven trumpet judgments. Now, recently I have been asked, do I think that these judgments are figurative and symbolic or literal events that will take place on the earth? Are they metaphorical? Are they figurative? Are they symbolic or are they literal? And I answered that question as a matter of fact without hesitation. These judgments that are coming upon the earth are literal. Just as literal as the judgments that came upon Egypt. It is insane to read the account of the people of Israel in Egypt and the plagues that came upon the people in Egypt, and to think that they were metaphorical or figurative. Well, tell it to the children of Israel. Tell it to the Egyptians when they went to make up their beds and frogs were popping out everywhere. They couldn't get rid of frogs and locusts. And the Nile River turned to blood. Tell it to them. It wasn't figurative at all. It was literal. And what we are about to see is... Literal. these are the things that you must go away from here and you must tell your friends and you must tell your family members that this is what is to take place on the earth should you not get raptured and should you be here you need to know what to expect these things are awful these plagues that are coming upon the earth Jesus spoke of them in Luke chapter 21 talking about the last days signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars On the earth, dismay among the nations. And men, get this, in Luke 21, will be so fearful that they will die. Can you imagine having that kind of fear that you will die? Your heart will stop because you are so afraid, Jesus talked about. Oh, they're literal. Psalm 148, verse 8, look it up in your own time, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. And it's interesting to note that these first four trumpets that we're going to look at briefly this morning are blown and we see the earth is pulverized. The first trumpet affects the land in verse 7. The second trumpet affects the salt water and the oceans. The third trumpet affects the fresh water. And then finally, the fourth trumpet this morning, the sun and the moon. Notice that. First of all, the first trumpet, we find that in verse 7. If you're there in your Bible, say amen. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all, circle that, green grass was burned up. Notice that hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and the result was a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Now, this wouldn't be the first time that fire rained down in judgment. Genesis chapter 19 Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from heaven. And then in Exodus chapter 9, when God was bringing the plagues on Egypt, he brought hail and fire upon the Egyptians. So it wouldn't be the first time that God rained down Judgment on man. Now notice this here. And think about this, if you will. Think it through with me. A third of all the trees are burned up and all green grass is burned up. Did you see that? This will affect the balance of nature. Completely. Will affect the balance of nature. I mean, think about it. All the trees. All the trees. Think about all the trees in North Carolina. Beautiful state. A lot of people love North Carolina, especially people who come visit me from California. California is dry and barren. You ever fly into California and you look down and you go, yuck. It's just brown. Flying to North Carolina, there's a carpet of trees. Don't you love it?
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina.